If you got a Bible with you, I want you to turn to the book of Psalms chapter 139. And while you're turning there, I wanted to share something with you. Um, uh, the, the Pope actually had a speaking engagement in the United Nations in New York City. And as the Pope flew into uh, the uh, JFK airport, there was a terrible, terrible snowstorm. Well, he, he landed, the plane landed, and, and he had a chauffeur that was there to pick him up and to take him to the uh, speaking engagement. But the roads were so bad, the, uh, the chauffeur that was driving the Pope... What happened was he, he just was just barely going along. And so the, the, the time was running out, and the Pope started getting a little bit upset. And so the Pope said, now, sir, could you please speed up? Because I, I've got an appointment at 930. I'm supposed to speak at the United Nations. And uh, the chauffeur said, sir, I'm going as fast as I can. I'm, I'm doing the best that I can. The roads are terrible. And, and, and so uh, the, the chauffeur just continues to drive. And, and, you know, the time's ticking. The Pope's looking at his watch. And he said, uh, sir, I, I, have to, I have to ask you, could you please speed up and, and keep going uh, a little bit faster? Because I, I'm going to be late. And so the chauffeur said, well, I'm doing the best that I can do. The roads are bad. And, and you, know, the, you know, they just kept traveling. So, so finally, the Pope got tired of the way that the chauffeur was driving. And the Pope said, just pull over, pull over. And, uh, and, and he said, I'm going to drive. And so, you know, the Pope gets out. He, he gets put into the, the front seat. And all of a sudden, the Pope's driving, and he puts the hammer down. He, he hits the gas, and he takes off. He's flying. I mean, he's sliding sideways and you know, just about hitting, knocking people off the road, and he's got to get there on time. And so there's a police officer, a, a, a NYPD officer that is parked, and, and all of a sudden he sees this this uh, uh, this uh, uh, vehicle just going past him, this limousine going past him, flying, and all of a sudden he gets furious. He said, what kind of crazy person is driving like this on roads like this? So the police officer, he pulls out, he gets behind him, he hits the gas, and so he He's flying down there, and all of a sudden, he, he pulls up close to him, flips the red lights on or the blue lights on, and, and he pulls them over. And he said, I'm about to give this guy a piece of my mind. I'm going to chew him out. So he gets out of his car, and he walks up, and he knocks on the window, and he, he looks, and he says, uh, 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 sorry about that, sir. And, and he just kind of backs up. He said, have a safe, have a safe trip. And so he, he walks over, and he goes, and, and he, he goes back, and his partner's in the car with him, Okay. And when he pulls up and he gets into the car, his partner says, well, why didn't you give him a ticket? He said, you don't know who's driving that limousine. And uh, he said, well, it couldn't be any more important than, than the mayor. He said, oh, yes, oh, yes. He's a lot more important than the mayor. He said, well, uh, it couldn't be more important than, than the governor. He said, oh, yes, he is a lot more important than the governor. He said, well, who was driving then? He said, I don't know who we, who we was driving, but the Pope was his chauffeur. <laughs> and the reason I share that with you is because I want you to know something. When you gave your life to Jesus, he got in the driver's seat of your vehicle, of your life, and said, scoot over I'm going to take control, and I'm going to drive this thing, and, and I'm going to run your life the way that, that it's going to be a blessing to you. And you may not feel like anybody. You may not feel like anybody important or even significant, but I want you to know something. When you give your life to Jesus, you are somebody. 
You're not just somebody. You are, have a new, new creation. You're a new creation. You have a new position. The Bible says that, that, that as many as believed on him gave you the power to become the sons of God. He said, old things pass away and all things become new. And the beautiful thing, I want you to get this, the beautiful thing about the gospel is this. The gospel doesn't just set us free from what we used to be. The gospel sets us free so that we can become all that God intended for us to be. There's a sense of identity that comes with recognizing who you are in God. And this is what we're going to talk about over the next couple of weeks. We're going to talk about the search for significance. And, and, and I'm, I'm going to be talking about soul prints. And Psalms chapter number 139, if you've got it there, say amen. This is a beautiful, beautiful psalm. I love this. You know, I, I understand what it feels like not to feel that you're important. I understand what it feels like not to feel like you have value or worth. The majority of people who are children of God have no sense of value or self-worth. They, they, they basically believe that God has this attitude that, that, that he's just tolerating them that that you know what that God is just up there and he's got his notebook out and he's he's looking at all the things that are wrong with you if you've ever felt that way if you feel that way right now I believe God's got a word for you but this psalm teaches us the incredible amount of thought and intent that God put into creating every individual you know, having a sense of identity is critically important to understanding your significance as a child of God. Not only is having a, a sense of identity important, you will never be able to fulfill your destiny until you are settled in your identity. Now, that's important for us to understand. Now, let's look at verses uh, 14 through 18. Psalms 139. We're going to start reading at verse number 14. Now let's, let's get back up. Let's start reading it. Uh, verse number 13. The psalmist wrote, For you have formed my inward parts. You have covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. He said, My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, listen to this, your eyes saw my substance yet being unformed. Now, this is an incredible, incredible uh, part of this chapter here. It says, your eyes saw my substance yet being unformed, and in your book, they all my days were written down, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious are your thoughts toward me, O God. How great are the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sands of the sea. When you read that psalm, what you find is that God has put an incredible amount of, in, of thought and intent in creating you. You are somebody significant. 
You have value. You have worth. God has done an incredible job of creating you. And God doesn't make junk. God doesn't look down after somebody is born and says, Oops, I made a mistake. You're not a mistake. Your life is not an accident. And this psalm teaches us that you're not here by accident. So what I want to talk about today is is soul prints. Soul prints. And the search for significance. Everybody, it's a universal need that all of us feel like that we have significance, that we have value. And we're going to talk about some of these things this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you today again. We ask you to bless your word. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would illuminate the word of God and speak truth to us. I pray that you expose every lie that we've believed about ourselves. Every lie that we have believed that someone else has told us. Every lie that the devil has told us, Lord. And I pray that you just expose those things and let the light of your truth be like a searchlight in the, in the depths of our heart and help us to see that who we are in you and what your intended purpose for us is. God, we love you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Soul prints, the search for significance. Now, the Bible is full of scriptures that teach us, again, about the incredible amount of thought and intent that God put into creating every person. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5 says that before you were formed in your mother's womb, God knew you. Now, think about that. Sometimes we just blow past those scriptures as if they're just like good things to say. That they're, they're cliche. But what that verse of scripture is, uh, what it's saying is that God has put a, an enormous amount of thought into you. And you are here not by accident. You are here by intended design. You're alive today because God wanted you to be here. Psalms 139 verses 13 and 14. It says, you form my inward parts. You've covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. As a matter of fact, you read that entire psalm and other portions of Scripture, you'll find out something that God determined beforehand every detail about you as a person. Not just uh, who you are as a person, but he also wrote down all the days of your life before even one of them were lived out. In other words, when you get to heaven, there's going to be a book open, and that book is a book about your life. God, he determined, you know, everything, all of our features. He, he determined the, uh, our race. He determined the color of our skin. Jesus said that even the, the hairs upon our heads are numbered. Not only that, God determined your personality. God determined your gifts, your talents, your ability. Not just that, the Bible says that God even predetermined beforehand where you would live. Listen to what it says in Acts chapter number 17, verses 27, 26 and 27. He says, For one man he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth, for he determined the times set for them. And listen to this, the exact places where they should live. 
What's that telling us? It's saying that you have been created by God and for God for a specific purpose. You are a one-of-a-kind original. There's nobody on earth that is like you. There might be people that have similar personalities. There might be people that, that maybe even kind of look like you. But the truth is, according to the Word of God, there's nobody on earth that is Exactly the way you are. You are a one of a kind. You are an original. You, you are unique. Now that word unique means special. That, that word unique means rare. That word unique is kind of like uh, uh, where we get the word treasure from. You know, and you know what makes treasure valuable is that treasure is never found on the surface. Treasure is always discovered underneath the surface. There's a whole lot more to you than what you just see on the outside. There's a whole lot more to you than the job that you have. There's a whole lot more to you than just the things that you do or the role that you play in society. There's, there's a whole lot more to you than just what we observe and see on the outside. Yet the truth is most of us live shallow superficial lives because we've never discovered who we are on the inside. It's important for you to search these things out. Listen, if we sought God the way that we sought making money, it would be absolutely life-changing what God could do in your life. You, you are valuable. You are unique. And listen to this. Your uniqueness is God's gift to you. And what makes you unique is also what makes you powerful. And so the scripture teaches us. He said, before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you. He said, you shaped my inward parts before they were even formed. You covered me in my mother's womb. He said, I determined, because that same psalm, if you read on that, he says, I determined your talents, your gifts, your abilities, your personality. He didn't leave any detail out. The number of the hairs on your head are numbered. God has put a lot of thought into you. And that thought that he put into you, he created a one of a kind. Now, if that's true, how come so many people struggle with feeling as if they have no worth, no value? I mean, our churches are full, and I would say it'd be true in this church right now, that most people do not feel like they have value. Most people do not feel like they have any worth. Most people feel like that they're insignificant, they feel like that, that they're not important, that, 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 they, that they're not loved or cared for. Even though somebody can stand behind the pulpit, proclaim what God says about you, a lot of people sit back and say, you know what, that's just too good to be true. Well, you know what, if it's not too good to be true, it's not the gospel. And again, the gospel is a beautiful thing. It doesn't just set us free from what we used to be. It sets us free to become what God intended for us to be. Now, I want to share with you three things about soul prints that I believe that are important. And you can go to that next slide. The first thing I want to share with you is the uniqueness of the soul. And again, if this psalm, Psalm 139, actually teaches us anything, it teaches us that we're not here by accident. Your birth was not a mistake. You may not have been planned by your parents, 
But I can promise you, God was expecting your arrival. God knew that you were going to be alive today. He knew what you were going to look like. He knew what he had called you to do. He, he created you with all of his uh, uh, vast wisdom and creativity. He, he intended for you to be here. You're not an accident. God expected you to be here. Long before you were ever conceived by your parents, you were conceived in the mind of God. And he wants you to understand how important that is when it comes to understanding the significance of why you're here today. Listen, you weren't created to blend in. You weren't created to be a, a camouflage Christian. Uh, uh, you weren't created. You were created to, to, to stick out. You were created to make a difference. You were created to make an impact. There is something significant that's on the inside of you that until you unlock that, you'll never have the sense of significance and value and destiny that God intends for you to have. You are a one-of-a-kind original. You're custom made by God and for God. The psalmist said that we were fearfully and wonderfully made. And so when we're considering the uniqueness of the soul, I want you to think about four particular things. And go ahead and go to the next one. This is, this is in your outline. To help us understand it better, I want you to think about, you know, number one, your voice print. Did you know that nobody else in the world has the same voice as you do. You know, I was ordering a pizza. I do that a lot. At Domino's. And I said, well, and I ordered the same thing over and over again as well. And, and, and I have no idea who that lady is that answers the phone. And she said, uh, uh, could I get a name? Uh, I said, this is, this is Donald. I said, I thought that was you. I'm thinking, how, how do I? I mean, I hear that a lot. I mean, I hear people say, listen, I could tell by your voice who, who you were. Every one of us has a unique voice print. Now, look at the next one, uh, the fingerprint. Every single one of us have a unique fingerprint. With over 7 billion people on the planet today, nobody has the same fingerprint as you do. Look at this next one, the eye print. You know, in many international airports around the world, when you are checking in, what happens is they will scan your passport and then they will take a scan of your iris, of your eye. Why do they do that? Because nobody has eyes like you do. I tell that to Rachel all the time. <laughs> nobody has eyes like you. But it's true. It's true. Nobody has the same eye print that, that you do. And, and the last one is the soul print. You know, that, that's what the, the medical field and the science field calls our DNA. Nobody has the same DNA as you do. I mean, that's an incredible, I mean, this is not just Bible. This is backed up by science. It's backed up by, by, by medicine. Listen, nobody has the same voice as you. That's why it's important for you when we come together that you worship God. Listen, when you do not worship God, when we are gathered together collectively, something is missing in this body. God is wanting to hear the uniqueness of your voice because he created you in a unique way. Nobody sounds like you do. It doesn't matter if you sound good or not. Listen, I was singing up Jack up here a while ago. I was like, man, I hope they turn the music up a little, or they, they, they sing just a little bit louder because I'm hearing myself. You ever thought you sounding good and all of a sudden the music kind of goes down? You're like, ooh. 
I mean, I was sounding good until I heard myself. But, but you know, it's irrelevant. You know, I'm going to sing to God. Why? Because God gave me a voice. The Bible says, shout unto God with the voice of triumph. That's why it's important for you to lift your hands. That's why it's important for you to clap your hands. That's, that's why it's important for you to sing to God. Because he created you with a unique voice. And when you do not worship, something is missing in this body. God is looking to hear your voice. So you've got a unique voice print. You've got a unique eye print. You, you, you've got a unique uh, fingerprint. You've got a unique soul print. And so there's something that is unique about you. But listen, even though this is true, the majority of us live our lives as strangers to ourselves. The truth is, we really don't know who we are. Kind of like that policeman that pulled, up, pulled over that limousine and found out the Pope was the chauffeur. He had no idea who was in the back seat. So if the Pope is important, the man in the back seat must be super important. And that's what happens. Listen, if Jesus is important, I can promise you his children are super important as well. And when you treat somebody else's child bad, guess who gets mad? Yet sometimes Christians can be some of the meanest people I've ever met. Sheep bite, did you know that? And so... You have to understand that the significance, we, we, even though we know this is true, we will amen. We will acknowledge it. You know, last week they sung that I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a, a child of God. You know, we, we love that. But you know what? You know, it's one thing to know God theologically as your father. It's another thing to feel like that you are his child. It's one thing to theologically think that, you know, that, that this is true. You know, we, say, we hear things preached all the time that God loves us with an everlasting love. Well, that's good, but that doesn't mean that you feel like it. You know, we, we, God says that we're accepted in the beloved. He said he, he loved us with an everlasting love. He says that, that you are a child of God. You are a child of the king. That you are bought with the price. Not with, with corruptible things as silver and gold. But by the precious blood of the land. Either that's true or not. And your worth as a person is not based upon what you have to offer him. But what he has to offer you. If you want to know the value of a soul. All you've got to do is look at the price that was paid on the cross. When God sent his son to die on the cross, heaven went bankrupt. Nothing more valuable in heaven than Jesus. And who did Jesus come to die for? The world. He come to die for you. He come to die for me. Why? Because he said, you know what? I love you so much that I didn't create you for time. I created you for eternity. Why? Because a lifetime is not long enough for you to know just how much I love you. Therefore, in the ages to come, I'm going to show you just how much you mean to me. That's true. But the difference between me and you, or me and somebody else, or you and somebody else, is that I intentionally live my life from that perspective. I choose to believe it, even though there's times that I don't necessarily feel that. But there are times when I really do feel that. And you know what? Just a glimpse of, of, of the love of God ruins you. June the 7th, 1998 ruined my life. I mean, it, 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 it changed everything for me. The day that I met Jesus and experienced him in a personal way, it radically changed my life. And from that day forward, serving him was plan A, and I didn't have a plan B. Some of you, you've got a plan B. You've got a plan C. And you know what? The thing is, you have not been fully secure in who you are because you know what? 
you allow somebody else to determine who you are. You care more about what somebody else thinks than what God thinks. You, you, you allow what somebody else told you to form your life so much that it's difficult for you just to believe that God said what he said about you and that it's true. So let me ask you a question. Do you know who you really are? Do you have a sense of identity? Do you have a sense of the value and the worth that you have as a child of God? If you don't, I believe God wants to reveal that to you this morning. Now, we can't handle all of it. Listen, if we just get a little, you know, a little dab of it, you know, we're blending in with the carpet. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we were up here worshiping. And you know what? I don't think anybody else was crying. I don't know. But I was up here sobbing. I was <laughs> Because I, 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 I was feeling in my soul the love of God. I was experiencing in my heart. It was like God was just speaking directly to me. And you know what? That's the most incredible thing that I can even think of is that, you know what? God's knowable. God wants to reveal himself to you in such a way that it just, it just, it just wrecks your life. Because until we are finally and truly secure in the love that God has for us, we're going to struggle relationally. We're going to struggle in our life. We're going to struggle in ministry because our worth is wrapped up in what we do instead of who we are. And I'll say this much, preachers are the worst of the worst. Most of the time, and I used to be this way, you know, when, when, when the ministry was going good, the church was packed out, I thought, man, yes, I felt good about myself, I'm doing a good job. But you know what? Churches go through ups and downs, seasons when there's going to be growth and seasons when there is, is decline. But if I allowed myself to determine my worth based upon who comes and who doesn't come, I'd be a miserable person. And I know many, many pastors that are the same way. What about you? When things are going good in your life, do you feel good about yourself? You feel like God? What about when you go through trials? What about when you go through difficulties? What about when you go through things that are not in your control? Do you feel forsaken? Do you feel abandoned? Do you feel like that, that you know what, that, that, that God has left you? God wants to bring you to a place of security. Now, when we don't have a sense of identity, what happens is this. We have no self-worth. We have no self-value. We have no self-esteem. And we have no sense, uh, no sense of destiny. But if the Bible is true concerning what it says about us, then why do we feel this way? First thing you have to understand is this. There's something extremely and incredibly unique about you that nobody else has. And you have to pursue that in your relationship with God because once he unlocks that sense of uniqueness and destiny, and not only do you have to uh, see that kind of uniqueness, you have to embrace it. You have to accept it. And it's hard for you and hard for me, hard for people to just accept the fact that what God says about you is true. You know, he loves us because he loves us, because he loves us, because he loves us. It's not earned. It's, it's not deserved. It's not something we have to strive for. But yet most of us, when we don't have identity, we try to perform our way into acceptance and love when God says, you know what? I love you just because I love you. And one thing I know about love, love never thinks unloving thoughts about you. I mean, that's an incredible thing. Do you know that God has never had an unloving thought about you? Even when you've done something wrong as his child, he's never stopped loving you. 
That doesn't mean that he uh, wants us to go out and live our lives any way that we want to live. The Bible says that God disciplines those that he loves. Discipline is a form of love. It is an action of love. He said, if I didn't discipline you, then I wouldn't love you. You would be as illegitimate children. Most people inside the local church feel like an illegitimate child. A third wheel, as if they don't belong. And it's because we don't have that perspective of who God is and who we are in God. That's important. So understand your uniqueness. Now, here's the second thing I want to share with you. The second thing is, I want to talk about the development of the soul. Or the development of our self-image. Now, where does that happen at? How does that happen? The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, 11, he said, when I was a child, I thought as a child, I spoke as a child, and I understood as a child. There's three things there. Thought, speaking, and understanding. He said, but when I became a man or I became mature, I put away childish things. You know, he said, he, he said there's three levels. There's three, three main seasons of our life where we're able to see that our soul is developed. Now, here's the first one. The first stage of the development of our soul or self-image is the childhood stage. Did you know during the childhood stage that, that, that science tells us that we learn 50% of everything that we learn in life, we learn by age five? Most of us learn our relationship skills by the age of five, and we don't learn anything else after that. Is anybody a powder like I am? I'm a powder. Now, when I get mad, I mean, I, mean, I, I used to be angry, you know. I used to punch holes in the wall. I used to, but now when I'm upset, I'm 41 years old. I'll just clam up. I'm like, when they come apologize, it'll be fine. If Rachel were here, she'd be amening up, Jack. She'd be like, amen. But 50% of what we learn in life, we learn by age five. And if you've ever been around a child, and I know that you have, children, it's not enough for a child to understand something. You know, children, they have to explore. You know what I'm saying? They have to touch it. They have to taste it. They have to smell it. You know, a child says, I wonder what that piece of paper tastes like. You know, or like, there's got to be something good in that dirt. I'm going to eat it. Or I'm going to stick my finger in this light socket right here and see what it does. You know, basically childhood is, is a learning experience. And that's why children learn so much so quickly is because they have an attitude. They want, they're curious. They want to know what everything's all about. Have you ever seen a child that, that recognizes its hand for the first time? It's kind of like, what in the world is that? What am I do with this? You know, I mean, so, so it's learned. It's not enough for us to understand something. And here, here's what I'm saying to you. It's not enough for you to understand what I'm saying to you. God wants you to have a learning experience. And that only comes by touching, tasting, seeing, smelling, going after, encountering, pursuing, you know, doing things, taking risks. And God wants you to learn. See, so what happens is we move from the childhood stage to the next stage. And the next stage is the youth stage. Now, the youth stage is the phase where we discover the mirror. And if you've got teenagers, you understand that teenagers love mirrors. 
Forrest is not a teenager, but he's never met a mirror that he didn't like. And what I mean by that is, during the phase of the youth phase or the youth stage, during the stage where we discover the mirror, what happens is we become increasingly more aware of ourselves. We begin to care more about our appearance and we begin to care more about what other people think about us. Amen? It's during this stage, you know, we, we get more concerned about how our hair looks or lack thereof. How's mine looking? I gave myself a haircut yesterday. We get more concerned about our makeup. We get more, more concerned about the kind of clothes we wear. We get more concerned about our social status. Are we in with the, the clique or, or, or are, we, are we in with the popular people? You, know, you ever felt that way? We get, more, we get caught up and we become more aware of ourselves. Now, the mirror phase is a very dangerous phase because as we become increasingly more and more concerned about our appearance, the danger of that is we start to notice things about ourselves that we don't like. My nose is too big. My ears stick out. To be laughing now. There's no denying my children. If there's one feature that all of them have of mine is that, you know, they, or my teeth are crooked. And, and so what happens is we become more aware of ourselves. We, 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 we begin to look at ourselves, and we see things about ourselves that we don't like. And what we're doing in the childhood or the, the youth stage is we're developing a self-image. Now, here's the third stage. The third stage is the adult stage. Now, listen to this. Once we reach the adult stage, we attempt to live out the image that we have developed of ourselves. And so many people get stuck in this stage because they have embraced a false self-image that either the devil told them or somebody else told them or they told themselves and they live in a constant state of disappointment because they don't feel like that they have any worth or value. They don't feel like that, that, that who they are is, is good enough. And so in adulthood, what happens is we attempt to live out that, that image. They get stuck in this phase of life, and they never go on to discover their true identity. And until you discover your true identity, here's what's going to happen. You'll spend the rest of your life trying to be somebody you're not. I'm preaching better than you're amening this morning. Do you know what that's called? Hypocrisy. It means you put on a mask. And what you're more concerned about is this. You want to guard yourself because you don't want people to discover who you think you really are on the inside. Now, here's one thing I know. I'm definitely not everything that I'm going to be, but I'm sure not what I used to be. And the Bible says, being confident in this one thing, that he that began a good work in you will finish that work until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The only thing that God starts, God's finished. We need to, be, we need to put a necklace around our neck that says, under construction. You're on your way. Listen, God started something in your life, and he's going to keep working on you until that is completed. But in the adult stage, if we have a false image of who we are, what happens is... We don't discover our true identity and we get caught in this circle of 
ups and downs, and we have no sense of worth or, or, or value. Now, it's critically important here, listen to this, that you discover your own identity and that you embrace your own uniqueness because you were never created to live a lie. Did you know that every sin committed is a result of a lie? You know that the original sin, how that happened way back in the garden with Adam and Eve, what did Satan do? Satan told Adam and Eve a lie. But he didn't just tell a lie. He actually told half the truth. What did he say to Adam and Eve? Didn't God say that when you eat this, you will surely die? Yeah, God said that. But then he said this. He said, you know what? The reason he don't want you to eat this is because he knows if you eat this, you'll become like him. Which is not what God said. But you know, telling half the truth is to tell a complete lie. And you know what? The devil has told you half truths and you've accepted them as whole truths. And it's formed your life to the point that you know what? You've believed that and you've accepted that as your identity. I mean, that's good right there. I mean, I wonder what lies you have believed about yourself that are keeping you in the bondage that you're in today. You know, lies that we believed about ourselves, about others, about God. Believing lies always bring us into bondage. Now, here's the third thing. We see, number one, the uniqueness of the soul. Number two, we see the development of the soul. And the third one is the discovery of the soul. It's important for you to get this too. Satan has always tried to destroy man's image and wound his soul. And when you have a soul wound, what I mean by soul wound is a wound that is hidden underneath the surface that nobody knows about but you. It can happen from either a lie that you believed, something that's happened to you, a divorce, a a bankruptcy, whatever, somebody walking out of your life, somebody betraying you, regardless of what happens when, when, when you experience something like Satan's intention is to destroy you. The Bible says that you were created in the image and the likeness of God. And because you project the image and the likeness of God in the earth, he wants to do everything he possibly can to distort the image of God by confusing you into believing something about yourself that's not true. How does he do that? By wounding us. If he can't do anything to God, he will do everything in his power to hurt and wound the very thing that is the object of God's affection, and that's you and I. But if we have these soul wounds, if they exist inside of us, you will struggle with intimacy for the rest of your life. Now, intimacy, when we think of intimacy, we think of something most of the time that is sexual. That's not true. Intimacy can be defined as this. Into me, see. We, we, in other words, we want to see who you really are. In other words, what we want to do is this. We, we, we don't want people to know the true you. you know, we, we want to hide behind something and project an image of what we're not because we're afraid that if they see who we really are, that they're not going to like us. They're not going to love us. They're not going to stay with us. They're not going to care about us. They're not going to to, to stick it out with us. They're going to abandon us. They're going to forsake us. And so what happens is we, we allow that to keep us from intimacy. Intimacy with God 
Now that's important because intimacy with God is a prerequisite to understanding and discovering your identity in God. Let me say that again. Intimacy with God, into me see with God, allowing God to tell you who you really are without you pretending to be somebody you're not is absolutely necessary and is a prerequisite for you to discover who you really are in God. And you know what? If you're not living the truth, you're living a lie and you weren't created to live a lie. You were created to live in the truth. Now listen, intimacy is a function of self-discovery. And if you are always denying who you really are, you're never going to be able to know who anybody else is until you discover who you are. So what we do, we put on this front. Or we pretend as if we're somebody that we're not just so we can get people to like us. You ever done that before? We try to act smarter than what we really are. If you notice me, and I'm not saying that you have to be like me, but I've come to the place where I realize that, you know what, I'm not the best preacher. There's always going to be somebody that's a better preacher than I am, better singer than I am, uh, more popular than I am, more anointed than I am, uh, smarter than I am, better looking than I am. I've come to the place where I accepted that, and it doesn't bother me anymore. Because you know what? I'm not trying to compete against you. But I am trying to be the best Donald Sims that I can possibly be. I'm not a good Billy Graham, and I'm not a good Rod Parsley, and I'm not, a, I'm not a good anybody, but I'm the best Donald Sims you've ever met in your life. And I'm comfortable with that, warts and all. And transparency is important. You were created to be open and transparent. You know, the Bible says that God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden in the cool of the day, and the Bible says they were naked and unashamed. But when sin came, when they sinned and fellowship with God was broken, the Bible says that they become self-conscious of being naked for the first time. And what happened? They hid. Why did they hide? Because they were ashamed. Before when they were walking with intimacy with God, there was no shame. In other words, when we look at that, we think that, you know, it's just talking about the physical nakedness. But really what that's saying is, is that Adam and Eve were comfortable in their own skin. They were comfortable in who they were as an individual. They were comfortable in their relationship with each other. And they were comfortable with their relationship with God. And they had no shame in their life. I mean, I wonder how many of you, your living life that is full of shame because you have done something that in your past that has defined you and you've accepted that as a label that's who you are. And so God's saying, listen, I want to bring you back because that's what's going to happen when Jesus returns. At the second coming, he's going to restore everything back to the way that it was in the beginning. In other words, we're going to be able to walk in, in, in the total freedom and intimacy, being comfortable in who we are as an individual, being comfortable with who we are with one another, comfortable in our relationship with God. But my question is, why do you want to wait till then in order to experience it? Bigger question is this, why, why are you not comfortable in your own skin? What fear that is in your life today that's keeping you from just accepting that this is who you are? And I'm talking about, according to Scripture, not in your own carnality. 
Now, I'm not saying, you know, again, the Bible says this. The first greatest commandment, he says, that we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. He said the second one's like it. He says, we shall love our neighbor as we love our what? Do you know the Bible teaches us that we are to love ourselves? And if you don't love yourself, you're sure not going to love anybody else. Because people that don't love themselves want everybody else to feel as bad as they do. Do you love yourself? And again, I'm not talking about in your carnality. I'm not talking about in your sinful nature. I'm not talking about at your worst. I'm talking about in your uniqueness. When you think about what kind of thought God put into you, the intention, the original intention that when he created you, he said, this is how I want you to be. You know, you know David in that psalm, he doesn't say, now I wish I was a little bit taller. I wish I was a baller. I wish I had a girl that looked good and I would call her. He doesn't say that. You know, he doesn't say that. He said, marvelous are your works, O God. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm a one of a kind. I am an original. I am God's masterpiece, and I accept it. But the truth is, he's talking about you too. That's the kind of revelation God wants to bring into your life. He wants to bring you to a place where you are comfortable in your own skin. Intimacy requires us to find our value and self-worth in being who God created us to be. Now, how do we get to that point? How do we get to the point to where we are comfortable in our own skin? The first thing that has to happen is that you have to accept and be honest about how you feel, how you view yourself, and then what God says about you. In other words, you have to say, you know what? I know what the scripture says, but I don't feel that way. If you can't come to the place, because listen, self-discovery requires honesty. Understanding that you're still a work in progress, but it's okay. Remember last week I told you about my children. You know, my children, they, 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 you know, they, they, they've destroyed my house. They've cost me thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands. None of them have a job. They don't contribute to our family one penny economically. We got holes in the wall we used to. Got them fixed. Artwork. For some reason, you know, you know the boys feel like they want to show the, the artwork on the wall. And they've made a mess of a brand new house. But I'm going to keep them. Why? Because they might be a mess, but they're my mess. And what I want you to know is you know what? You may be a mess, you may not have it together. You may not even feel like that you're contributing or doing anything that is going to be worth or in any value to the family of God, to this local church. But I want you to know something. You might be a mess, but you're his mess. You're my mess. I'm not going to give you up. He's not going to give you up. Why? Because he loves you. He loves you. Isn't that incredible to think about? I mean, I think about stuff like that. You know why? Because you're never more alive than when your soul 
is fully aware of God's love for you. The Bible says we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. You know, we can say, you know, I love God with all my heart. But if you only love God with all of your heart, you've only loved God with 25% of who you are. And you weren't created to be half-hearted. You were created to be wholehearted. Mind, soul, strength, heart. He said, I want you to love me. I want you to love me with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Why? Because that's the way I love you. I love you with all of my strength. How strong is God? God's not strong. He's omnipotent. I love you with all of my mind. How smart is God? He's not smart. He's omniscient. He knows everything. He's brilliant. He doesn't make mistakes. He's an expert. He's holy. He's flawless. And he said, I love you with all of that that I am. And he said, you know what? I love you with all of my soul. He said, you know what? I wanted to know how it felt to be like you, that I had to become a man so I could relate to you. I knew you were going to struggle and I never struggled a day in my life. But I come down and I put human flesh on because I wanted to know what it was like to walk a mile in your shoes. I mean, what kind of God is this? I mean, he's incredible. It's amazing. I mean, and what happens is you just fill our minds with Bible knowledge, but we have no revelation in our heart. And God's saying, listen, you've got a unique soul print. I created you to experience this kind of life and you have allowed yourself to accept a lower level of living. You know, some people are so poor that all they have is money. There's more to life than making money. There's more to life than coming to church. There's more to life than, than living in a home and, and having the American dream. You weren't saved to have the American dream. You were saved to have the dream that God has for you. And you're never going to be alive until you live it out. And it begins by discovering who you are. Then go ahead and come to music. We're going to get out of here early. Can I get an amen? Go to this next one. Go right there. Just leave it right there. Go back. Now, Jesus said in John chapter 8 verse 32. He says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall... Now, notice what it didn't say. Notice it doesn't say you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. That's what you heard it said. That's not what it says. So you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. You know, that word make in, in, in the original Greek is a creation word. He said, you shall know. You know what that word know means? Intimacy. The truth. You know what the truth is? Jesus. He's a person. Jesus said, I'm the way and the life. He says, when you know me intimately, I will create in you a new you. That will not only set you free from what you've done, but set you free to become what I intended for you to be. Glory to God. It's a creation word. Because truth liberates. Truth redeems. Truth creates a brand new you. Truth releases the, the power of God in your life. Old things pass away and behold, all things become new. God doesn't take the old you and the new you and mix it together and say, have some fun. 
He wipes the slate clean. He casts our sin as far as the east is from the west. He chooses not to remember because he said, you know what? From this day forward, you're not who you used to be. But yet a lot of you, you live your life based upon your past and not your future. And as a result of that, God is boring. As a result of that, as a result of that, coming to church and serving God is a task and a chore instead of a privilege. Instead of worshiping God, it requires too much of an effort. We're more conscious of ourselves. Well, what if somebody sees me lifting my hands? What if somebody hears me, you know, hears my voice and what I sound like? And you know what? You never even think for a moment that God's saying, you know what? I created you with a new voice. I'd love to hear it sometime. When you are more concerned about what somebody else thinks than what God thinks, you've missed the whole picture. He created you with the uniqueness of soul. And if we're not living the truth, we're living a lie. And you were never created to live a lie. Let me ask you a question. Is it okay to lie? Huh? Hey, it's one of the big ten. Made it in the top ten. It's not okay to lie. Let me ask you this. Is it okay to lie to yourself? Are you? Are you? If you are, you need to come to a place of repentance. Repentance is not punishment. You know what repentance does? Repentance is the changing of the mind. It brings you back to the place where you missed it. You got off on a wrong exit. Remember when you first got saved and you just loved God and you just loved people and the sky was bluer and the grass was greener and it was just such a joy to serve the Lord? If you've lost that, then you know what? You've took a wrong exit somewhere. If you don't possess that now, if that passion is not there now, then something's happened. You got off on a wrong road somewhere and God's saying, listen, he's put a spiritual navigation system inside you called the Holy Spirit. And when you get off on the wrong exit, what does the GPS say? Rerouting, rerouting. Make a U-turn. Make a U- That's what some of you need to do. God's saying to you, look, this is not the intention of my plan. You're not living the life I intended for you to live. You're allowing circumstances or what somebody else said about you or what the devil told you or what you experienced in life to tell you who you are. Reroute. Calculating. You know where he's bringing you back to? The cross. Because the farther we get away from the cross, the more religious we become. Cross. Scripture says that we're not to be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. A better translation of that is this. Don't allow the world to cause you to fit inside of its mold. Has the world defined who you are? Had that relationship that didn't work out define who you are? Did that failure, did that disappointment did that miss opportunity did that mistake cause you to believe a lie and try to force yourself to fit inside this mold God's here to expose those lies and tell you who you really are now when I think about this can you stand with me 
Now, when I think about this, I can't help but think of David. You know, when David fought Goliath, he had no clue that what was about to take place in his life that day was going to change him forever. But once David defeated Goliath, 